Welcome to the City Women Podcast. I'm Sharissa Great, and I'm joined by Ashley Kelly and Mary Turner. This season, we are reading through the book of Genesis and looking at how God has revealed himself as faithful. We pray today's episode encourages you and reminds you of how the Lord is faithful to you as well. Today, we will be discussing chapters 36 through 40. Let's jump right in. Hello, ladies. Hey, Sharissa. Hello. Well, how are we doing today? I'm doing good. So good. Yeah. I am really pumped because today we get into Joseph's story, and yes. it is my favorite. Of I know the Joseph you've story. really been looking forward to this part of the the podcast. I like it. <laughs> I think also because I misunderstood Joseph for so many years. I right. had a Sunday school version of Joseph in my mind, and then I read it and I thought he's just kind of a jerk, mm. and I didn't have a full understanding until what we're talking about: reading it more slowly, understanding some context, really putting the time in with it and Mm -hmm. I realize what a beautiful story it is yeah I would almost say that's the opposite of what Jacob was for me maybe because we hear these certain stories that are plucked out about Jacob and you think oh wow this is amazing but then you look at his character and you're like wait no he actually was a jerk (laughs) (laughs) it is Mm -hmm. it is the opposite yeah yeah I just I I think there's incredible twists and turns and redemption and callbacks to all the other stories in Genesis. It's just really cool. It's a culmination of everything that we've talked about. We see a lot about the character of God's people that he's building, but also so much about God. And so it really is the perfect way to end this wonderful book of the Bible. And we're excited to share it with you. Yes. Well, we start off with something a little less exciting, but (laughs) also important. Important. We've said that all along. We encourage you to read 36, it's Esau's genealogy and a lot of good information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't just sleep through it. Um, you could dig if you want to, if you're like super interested, but we just want to acknowledge that these were people and the original audience probably would have recognized some of these names or some of the people that these descendants became. And so that is one of the important parts of this chapter. And some of them are their enemies. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Amalekites who later become great enemies. So yeah, they, they would have understood the references more than we would. Mm-hmm. But I think another part that's important to keep in mind, and we saw this earlier with Ishmael, the brothers, Jacob and Esau, do come together and they do appear to have some sort of reconciliation mm-hmm. and they are together at their father's grave. So they seem to have peace, but it doesn't carry on to later generations. Right. And and that's the unfortunate part of sin, the unfortunate part of all these, you know, different things that happen in the book of Genesis. That's what later on the, the, the readers are understanding, oh, this is how this came to be. This is how we came to have this group of enemies mm-hmm. because of disobedience. I actually think I heard somebody say, um, so I can't claim this as my own, but Genesis really is a seedbed of everything else that grows in the Bible. Like, really, yeah. we're seeing so many seeds planted of about so many different things. Like, I think almost, especially in the Old Testament, so many of the stories and things that we know of the Old Testament can be traced back to what is revealed in Genesis. Which, again, is why it's important to even read the genealogies. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if you're that interested, go ahead and dig in. But just with the understanding of this, this has meaning as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one of the important parts here is the fact that Esau, he moves away. He yep. moves away from this area because it is Jacob's inheritance. Right. And he had been there in the land caretaking and doing all the things. We don't really have a lot of information, but he was there. And then there's a point where he moves away, which sets up chapter 37, where he switches over to the other brother. Right. Yeah, because it's chapter 37 starts, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. 
So he was in the promised land where he was supposed to be all along. And then we open up into this beautiful story of Joseph. Mm-hmm. There's something about the word sojourner or foreigner, whatever mm-hmm. it is in your version that I find really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think one day I want to do a little more study into that. It's one of those things reading slowly that, that stood out to me that I didn't have enough time to yeah. really dig into. Well, I mean, we see that all the way in Abraham, like he was a sojourner, you know, and then if you skip ahead to the New Testament and Romans and Hebrews, especially Hebrews 11, where it talks a lot about the faith of these particular people in the Bible, um, it really does tell us that they understood that they were sojourners in the land and not even not even just physically, but they were looking forward to something better, to the fulfillment of the promise of heaven, of the kingdom of God and all of that. And then we're told over and over in the New Testament, like our citizenship is in heaven and which really, you know, we are citizens of the kingdom of God and we're sojourners here in the way of the world. I think it's a beautiful picture. Mm-hmm. And for them, it was such a physical reality for us. It's more of a... Uh, metaphysical. I don't even know the word I yeah. want to use. Yeah, but it, it's it's not as much. But when we look at this story, it brings more understanding to those words of the it New makes, Testament. It makes it feel more concrete. Yes. Yeah. So we have Jacob and his family, and here they are, as we said, in the land of Canaan. And we have Joseph, who is his favorite. His favorite. Which is kind of sweet, but it also is going to cause problems. It caused problems with Isaac and Esau and Jacob and Rachel. We don't have a good time when we have favorites. Yeah, right. The favoritism uh, that Joseph enjoys, we probably could say, is the root of the envy that Joseph's brothers have towards him. Absolutely. Which causes a lot of problems. As a parent, take note. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do favorites. But Ashley, you had a really interesting point about Joseph. He is the youngest of the patriarchs that that we see. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, right here in chapter thirty-seven, right at the beginning, it tells us Joseph being seventeen years old. This is the youngest age that we're seeing in the in Genesis, where when it begins talking about the character of the story, um, Joseph Joseph is seventeen, um, and so. I think we do have to keep in mind that he's a teenager here. And we didn't see Abraham as a teenager. We didn't see Isaac as a teenager. We didn't see Jacob as a teenager. We saw them fully in manhood, 40 years old, 75 years old, you know, but here Joseph is 17. And we're going to see it almost feels like his story is fast forwarded for us. And even in the end, the next age that we get of him, he's still not very old. He's not. And I think it is important to keep in mind some of the things that he's doing there. He's acting like a kid. Mm -hmm. And we know teenagers' brains aren't formed. Mm -hmm. So they do (laughs) silly things. And here he he, he tattles on his brothers. It's one Mm -hmm. of the first things we talk about here. And that is such a kid thing to do. Right. And, you know, in dealing with his dreams, it's like, guess what, guys? Guess what? God told me you're all going to bow down to me. I mean, that is such a kid reaction. Most adults would say, hey, maybe that wouldn't be the greatest thing to share. <laughs> but he's excited about it, not thinking about the implications. Right. Yeah. I think we have to, you know, Genesis obviously tells us what happened. That's, you know, he had these dreams and he shares them with his brothers and then he has another dream, shares it with all of them. And it also involves his dad. And um, But what the Bible doesn't tell us is the tone in which he said it. 
And so it could have been a taunting tone, like, hey, guess what? Or it could have just been like, wow, I had this dream. You know what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, what does this mean? Right, yeah. And so that that is left out yeah. for he, us. He doesn't seem to know that it's specifically everyone in his family. He doesn't know, oh, I'm going to go to Egypt and all these things are going to happen. Right. It is a very childish, like, oh, look at mm-hmm. this. Yeah, but yeah. you're right. We don't know the tone mm-hmm. with which he did it. We don't know if he's tattling just to get his brothers in trouble because they're mean to him and he's right. the favorite. We don't really know. Yeah. But I think we can all understand being a teenager. Mm-hmm. You do things later, you look back and you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Maybe I needed to mature a yeah. little bit there. Yeah. But which... it gives me a little bit of, whereas I might have initially read this like, oh, my gosh, what a jerk. <laughs> I have a little more compassion now of he's just being a kid. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, he also gets a really special garment. He gets this special coat from his Mm -hmm. father. Again, he is the favorite and kind of like a lot of children that are born in older age end up being kind of a special child. And I think this is sort of Joseph's situation. And he was the the son of the favorite wife and all that. Mm -hmm. But he gets this special coat, which is more than just a coat. Mm -hmm. It has a lot more significance. Mm -hmm. The coat of many colors, Mm -hmm. as we probably heard it in Sunday school. Um, yeah, I mean, it really was a symbol of his status in the family and the blessing and um, his the favoritism that was put on him by his father. Um, I even kind of read, and I'm not sure, probably could dig in a little bit more, but it also could have been um, something that you would give to somebody in management. And so for, because that, the detail about the coat comes right after it says that he told on his brothers And so maybe the coat was explaining why he was telling on his brothers, because he was in this management position as a teenager, as a much younger brother that um, Jacob put him in with this coat. And so maybe it was part of his responsibility to let dad know what the brothers are up to as they're out in the fields or, you know, doing doing whatever. Which would make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I also read that it was like a, a royal type garment. Not that it was royal, but it was the type of garment royalty would wear. So the same idea. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that a again. A manager royalty. Exactly. We'll Keep see that in mind, coat. y'all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are lots of coats in, in Joseph's life. <laughs> but it's this this special thing that is just one more strike against him with his brothers. Right. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about the dream. Um, and just to mention as well, Egyptians at this time had this idea that anyone who who dreams about ruling over the stars, which was the second dream, Mm -hmm. they would rule over all people. So Mm -hmm. it's just dropping little clues for Mm -hmm. later, which I love. Like, keep these dreams in mind. It's not just Mm -hmm. part of the story. It's an integral part of the Mm -hmm. story. And it even says that Jacob, initially he doesn't like it, but then he kind of keeps it in mind. You know, he kind of holds it. The brothers are... Ah, you know, mm-hmm. like completely against it. But then Jacob, for whatever reason, I think maybe he was like, hmm, maybe that means something. That's an interesting mm-hmm. detail. Mm-hmm. I, I had said it, it reminded me a little bit of Mary pondering in her heart. Right. When the wise men came and all these things were happening with her son and, and she knew he was special, but she didn't quite understand it. I think it's probably the same for Jacob. Mm-hmm. He knows Joseph is special, but he doesn't quite understand how this is all going to come to play. Mm-hmm. And we need to keep in mind he doesn't know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have a situation where Joseph is sent to his brothers. He goes to to find them while they're shepherding again, maybe for the same reason, maybe to check up on them again. 
and uh, they're not really happy to see him. Mm-mm. They see him coming, and it says, the brothers. We don't know. I think they're all in this, you know, like, hey, he's coming. Let's kill him. You know, like, they. this envy has turned into just violence and brutality. And really, um, I was kind of noticing, if you think about the character of Jacob, and how he was so deceptive and you know his character wasn't good and so but but the things that he did really they weren't violent they weren't evil they weren't brutal towards other people but it's almost like he was a seed for now his sons have grown and they've they've blossomed into very evil violent brutal men to where it's not just um, an altercation between brothers, now they want to actually take their brother's life. It's an extreme reaction mm-hmm. to sibling rivalry. And right. we've seen a lot of sibling rivalry in Genesis. Mm-hmm. And it's going back to Cain and Abel yeah. and this murderous intent. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a lot of this, but this has taken it back up to the new heights of Cain and Abel. We want to murder. Right. Which is extreme. Yeah. I, I've, you know, we all have seen or experienced some sibling rivalry. Never once thought Never. about murdering my sister. No. No, Never no, no, no. once. Never once. This no. is extreme. Mm-hmm. Yes. But then we, we see Reuben mm-hmm. trying to talk everybody down a little bit. Right. Trying to persuade them, hey, maybe we don't right. kill him. Right. Yeah, maybe let's uh, let's put him in this pit. You know, and then and then it says he's kind of thinking to himself, like, I'll come back and I'll save him and I'll bring him back and like I'll be the hero and I'll earn maybe my position or status back with dad because if you'll remember from the previous episode Reuben is the one that um, slept with his dad's concubine one of his concubines and just like that is an utter disgrace so essentially he has lost his status in the family like he has been disgraced he has disgraced his father and so here we're seeing Reuben being a lot like Jacob like trying to be you know like he's calculating he's like how can i up my status in the family again the brothers don't like him but i know dad loves him so i'll appease the brothers with this but then i'll come back and i'll Mm -hmm. you know i'll win the favor of of dad again i think it's a really important point because i don't think i've always read that and really understood the depths of why Mm -hmm. reuben was reacting the way he was yeah so then they take the coat off him they throw him in the the pit the cistern whatever you want to whatever your um, translation says. And they see this group, this caravan of Ishmaelite traders Mm -hmm. that are coming in the distance, and it gives Judah an idea. Yes. So Judah. So it's it's interesting. (laughs) We've got Reuben is named, and then Judah is named. And then following in the story, we'll see Reuben and Judah popping up again. It's it's almost like this mini rivalry between the two, maybe. I don't know. But... Mm -hmm. Um, vying for leadership. Yeah, mm-hmm. vying for status and, and, you know, whatever. And so Judah was the fourth born. So it was Reuben. Would have been, he was the first born. And then we had Simeon and Levi. And Simeon and Levi were the two who were um, behind the Dinah retaliation where they killed all the men of Shechem and all of that. And, and Jacob had very harsh words for them. And so essentially they've also disqualified themselves from the status and the blessing and the birthright and you know all of that. And so Judah, I wonder in this moment, Judah has this idea, mm, I really do wanna get rid of Joseph because he is the favorite. I, I could be up for the blessing and the birthright because Reuben did this and my other brothers did this. But also, Dad could just go ahead and choose um, Joseph. Joseph, you know. And so I think he's here calculating as well. And so he's like, hmm, "Let's get rid of, let's get rid of him, let's get rid of my competition, 
um, so that I can like solidify my status in the family. Which mm-hmm. is, and wow, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty calculating as you yes. said. So they come up with this idea with the caravan, oh, we'll sell him off. Right. And they actually ended up selling him for 20 pieces of silver, which mm-hmm. was the price of a male slave under 20. So they're selling him off as a slave, and, and here they have this money that they can divide amongst themselves. I, it's terrible. Ten of them, right. you know, so they each get two, or however they divide it up. It is terrible. So they are, are taking all these these treasures to Egypt, and so now we know that Joseph is headed off to Egypt, mm-hmm. and his brothers don't know what happens to him from this point on. No, they think he is gone. We're never going to see him again. We got rid of that. That guy, you know, like. (laughs) And Reuben comes back and he is upset, but not for the reasons maybe we would have initially thought. Right. He's like, oh, no, now what am I going to do? What will I do? (laughs) (laughs) What a terrible response. Yeah. So that really reveals his intention, his motivation behind his earlier his earlier thoughts and his plan. Yes. And, and and they don't just, you know, say, oh, gosh, Dad, he never arrived. We don't know what happened. They they go deep on this. And they take the robe and they dip it in blood. And here they are deceiving the deceiver. It's, right. It's the hairy cloak that he wore to deceive his father is being replayed in this beautiful, bloody coat. Yes. Yes. We saw that with, like, Laban kind of returning Jacob's deception on him. And here are... Um, Jacob's sons doing the same thing that he did to his father. That's right. And here is Joseph being sent on to Egypt, and he'll be in the house of Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And we'll pick up his story again. But we have what seems like a strange intrusion. Yeah, break in the story. Mm -hmm. But it's also important. We want to mention right now, we're going to put a minor content warning just for anyone younger that doesn't want to hear about certain things, you know, we'll just give you a chance to, to break away. Mm-hmm. But we have the story of Judah again and his daughter-in-law. Right. So this is this feels very similar to, like, the story of Dinah was kind of just kind of set in the middle of a greater story, you know. And so that's kind of feels like what is happening here because it's right in between Joseph's story. It's like we're... We're waiting, like, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, we're jumping to to Judah. And um, But I think we have to—it's it, purposeful. So anytime—we've said this over and over on our podcast. Like, anytime something feels off or, you know, we have to kind of, okay, slow down. There is a purpose to this. It feels weird, but there's a purpose to it. And there so, is. yeah, so and we have to read it with that in with that in mind. And there's a couple different purposes. That's mm-hmm. the thing about the Hebrew literature. There's not just one purpose. There's right. multiple layers to this. Yes. And you can look at this and say, okay, Judah is going to be in the line of David. He's going, which means he's in the line of Jesus. So mm-hmm. this is an important thing for the Messianic line, something we need to know. But also there's other important information here. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a contrast between these two brothers, Judah and Joseph. Yes. Yeah, we here we're going to get a little peek at Judah's character more than what we've seen before. And then it's held up directly against what we're going to learn about Joseph's character. And so it is it is kind of like a little mini character study that we're getting ready to kind of jump into. Which I think is good to know before you read it as well, or mm-hmm. maybe before you read it again, mm-hmm. um, to put that in your mind and read it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So then we have this, what seems to us to be a strange custom, but Mm -hmm. 
it's important to have a child. And everything about their lives and women's lives at this point was to have a child to carry on the line. Mm -hmm. Which we've talked about a lot with Sarah and, you know, all that. So if you want a little more information about this marriage provision for a man who dies, what happens to the wife if she hasn't had a child yet, you can look in Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10. It explains a little bit of this. You know, if... The, the brother doesn't provide the, the heir, then the next brother will and the next until you get an heir. Mm-hmm. And Judah doesn't follow the, the, what he's supposed to do. Right. Uh, his sons also don't follow and they keep dying mm-hmm. because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. It says that, I mean, it even gives God credit for that. You know what I mean? Like their, their ways are evil and this is a judgment on Judah for Judah. You know what I mean? Really, I kind of see it that way. Um, and and then Judah kind of acts a lot like his dad here. And, yes. you know, he takes it very personally. And um, so Tamar, we're talking about Tamar. We haven't even said her name oh, yet. Yeah. Sorry, Tamar. Um, yeah. So Tamar it was one of his son's wife. And this one son dies without any children. So then Tamar marries the next son. He doesn't want to uh, father a child because he knew that he would have to take care of and it would be really be his brother's, brother's child. And so then he ends up dying. And then Judah, rather than um, offering his next son because he's thinking, great, he's going to die too. I'm going to lose all my sons. This sounds like Jacob. I'm going to mm-hmm. lose all my sons. So then he sends Tamar back to her father's house, and she's thinking, until this younger son is old enough, and so, okay, I'll do it. But she ends up waiting and waiting, and it never happens, and he never sends the son. And she hears that Judah's wife has died, and he's looking for some companionship, we'll say. And prostitution was common among the pagans in this area where they're living in Canaan. They served the goddesses and religious cults. It was thought to, uh, sex with a prostitute was thought to improve fertility in the land or crops, whatever. So they Mm -hmm. would use the services of these prostitutes. It wasn't private, but it was public. Mm -hmm. Um, Private was frowned upon. Public was worship, which Mm -hmm. is very strange. But the Hebrews had a different standard. You Mm -hmm. know, here we are talking Judah. He was not supposed to participate in this. He was polluting the seed. He was not supposed to, to do this. And... Uh, scripture condemns prostitution. Mm-hmm. It is not a way of taking care of each other. So we shouldn't think that this is the right way to resolve the situation that Tamar was in. Right. But it is how this happened. God chose to use it. You know, and I think we've seen that all throughout Genesis. And we're really, I think we're he's not just not just now setting it up, but we're intensifying this idea that God can use whatever we do, any of our mistakes, to bring about his purpose and his good. And we're really going to see that in Joseph's story. But we see that here as well. Um, Because Tamar, I mean, you know, like for Judah, it was wrong. For Tamar, it was wrong as well. But yet um, she was blessed and she conceived twins. And um, and one of them actually continues the line and Christ comes through through that. And so, and Tamar is even included in the lineage of Jesus in the book of Matthew. She is the first woman that we see there. And I think that is very significant. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think you alluded to this. I think this is an important point because it's one of the issues that people start to have with Genesis or, or the Old Testament is the way women are treated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to go back to the beginning and God's design. And I was reading this the other day and it struck me. Men and women were created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we get this idea that men were created in the image of God and then women came after. It says that man and woman Mm -hmm. were created in the image of God. And 
this has been set aside in this patriarchal society that women are also the image of God. Mm-hmm. And they're not being treated with the same respect that God gave them at creation. Right. And it, and it, it's continued. It's not as though it was then and, and it's not now. I mean, it's it's still an issue. And it leads to sin and it leads to these type of problems. So I don't like the idea of blaming God for this mm-hmm. when it's a corruption of the perfect plan that God had. Yeah, yeah. And the corruption was not too far gone for God, you know. And um, I think that's one of the things that we're supposed to supposed to see here. His mercy. His mercy and his, his faithfulness, even though we're often so faithless. He's nice to keep working with us. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Well, that was interesting. And I think it's good to keep in mind for the rest of the story and the rest of the story of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really hinge point to the story of the Bible. Mm -hmm. But in chapter 39, we turn the story back to Joseph. And he is in Egypt. And we wanted to set the scene a little bit. We wanted to um, just create the idea. So Joseph had been given to these traders. And just based on where he was, he probably would have traveled for about 30 days by foot to get from where he was to Egypt. He would probably be chained. And he would be sold as merchandise. He'd be stripped of his humanity, his position as the favorite son. He was no longer uh, management. <laughs> he was no longer um, loved. He was property. Mm-hmm. And here, if you can kind of picture him as a shepherd living this nomadic life, you know, they kind of followed the water and the grass to take care of the flocks. And now he's in this big city with homes and pyramids and statues and art and a different language. It is, at the time, one of the world's most advanced civilizations. So to come from a really basic, you know, herding family, nomadic family, to this incredible city must have been culture shock. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to put ourselves into that picture of he had never seen anything like this before, and yet he adapts really well. Really yeah. quickly. Yeah. What did you call it when we were talking about this? Um, when we read this, we have... Um, oh, Prince of Egypt Syndrome. Yes. <laughs> yes. From that movie, yeah. you know, and and we, we read through this so quickly. Just like with Noah's Ark and some of the others, um, we, we don't stop to think about certain aspects of like, wow, what would this have been like? It really would have been probably overwhelming... And we just we aren't we aren't told, you know, but we can assume and we can definitely um, I don't know. We can use our imagination. Yeah, we can use our and I think we're supposed to you're supposed to read this critically, read it slowly, use your imagination, ask questions, think about it. Um, Yeah. But here is God's favor on him in the midst of just the most incredible situation. He's been taken from his family into this overwhelming new city. And he ends up in the home of the captain of the guard, like we said. Mm-hmm. And again, think about him. He's he's lived in tents all his life. And here he is now in a home. Right. They would have, Potiphar probably would have lived in a two to three story home. They would have had all the servants, which he was. These beautiful surroundings, like something he's never experienced. Um, they have gardens and artwork and rugs and elaborate furniture and expensive clothing, lampstands in every room, delicacies, <laughs> like all of these things that are just foreign to him. Right. And he's dropped into this situation and he's not of this place, like we said earlier. Right. At, you know, he's not of Egypt, not. but here he is in Egypt. And mm-hmm. that's a big story for the Israelites later reading this 
yeah. account. I wonder if we're supposed to ask or wonder as we're reading this, is Joseph going to assimilate? Mm-hmm. You know, like, is he going to make this like his home or is he going to continue to have that kind of um, sojourning heart, spirit about him? Um, is he going to remember who he is? He has so many opportunities throughout his story mm-hmm. to assimilate. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And here he is with Potiphar. And um, just like Laban did with Jacob, Potiphar begins to um, prosper with mm-hmm. Joseph in his household. Mm-hmm. It says like Pot- it says multiple times in, what are we in, like chapter 39, I think, that the Lord was with Joseph, um, that his master, that uh, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him. It was It was noticeable. We saw that with Isaac. Um, and then it's also that the Lord blessed Potiphar because of, because of Joseph. And I think that those are really important, uh, little parts to see and acknowledge and recognize because we didn't see any of that really personal language of the Lord being with Jacob. Not, not once mm-hmm. was the Lord with Jacob. All these things happened and God revealed himself, but it seems like. There's, there's a difference here in how God is relating and how he's residing with Joseph. Yes. And Joseph was a loved child. Mm-hmm. Jacob really wasn't in, mm-hmm. in that sense. I mean, he was kind of sent away. I mean, mm-hmm. he and his mother had a relationship. But um, I think that father love is very um, understandable to Joseph, which is really interesting. So mm-hmm. he, J- Joseph keeps getting put into a, peer, um, a place of more responsibility. Mm-hmm. And then the master's wife, Potiphar's mm-hmm. wife, takes a shine to him. Not a great situation. No. Goodness. So Joseph... So we, we read a lot about all the women being beautiful and the men wanting the women, Sarah and, and, and yeah. Rebecca and uh, Rachel. Um, but I think the first time wrong, we've, we've but is heard this the of first a, time that we've heard of like a man being desirable well, to a woman? Mine says very handsome and well-built. Yeah. <laughs> so, hey. So, I mean, we're, I think we're supposed to take from that that Joseph was something to behold. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it's part of him. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. It's part of his presentation. Yeah. And yeah, she thinks he's handsome and well-built and she's really attracted. Right. And um, she begins to look at him lustfully, says in my (laughs) translation as well. And she's real bold. Come sleep with me. Right. So she keeps trying to tempt him. Again, Mm -hmm. it's the idea of this assimilation. Are you going Mm -hmm. to be tempted in this Mm -hmm. area of your life? Mm -hmm. And he's not. Mm -mm. He stands really strong against it. Mm -hmm. This may be one of the highest points of his character. You know, like he's able to resist this this temptation. And if you if you view it that way as temptation, you know, Adam and Eve weren't able to resist temptation. It's popped up from time to temp- the temptation to um, create the child create that you've been promised in your own way. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. all these things like we haven't been able to resist this temptation. But yet here is Joseph and and he is exhibiting this character trait that, you know, what? I can resist this temptation. That's right. And he does. Mm-hmm. And she tries to force him into a relationship. He run, physically runs away, leaves his coat behind again. And Potiphar is told. And Joseph ends up in prison. Mm-hmm. And this is another, you know, he's kind of gone to the heights here. And he starts descending back down like he's been in the pit. Now he is in prison. Mm-hmm. And we think we don't have necessarily evidence to this, but we have come to the conclusion that um, he was put in this particular prison rather than executed, which he should have been, because maybe Potiphar knew his wife's character. Mm-hmm. It was the, 
the pharaoh's prison. So like it was a political prison, exactly. and where where rightfully he could have been executed. But it's important that he's there because he meets some of Pharaoh's mm-hmm. workers, the mm-hmm. cupbearer, or I like to call him the sommelier. The, uh, <laughs> he chooses the wines and, you know, he tastes them. And the chief baker. And they've, mm-hmm. uh, they've offended their employer and they're there in this prison and dreams pop up again. Dreams pop up again. And they have these dreams and Joseph interprets these dreams. And it's a little seed planted for next week's episode Mm -hmm. this will come up again but he says hey one of you is going to live the other one is going to die here's what your dreams mean and the one that was going to live he said remember me when Mm -hmm. you go back to pharaoh's house yeah and the dreams come to pass and it happens just as um joseph said it would and so right here we have like this moment of hope like maybe joseph's like okay like i can see the end you know and so maybe we're supposed to have that as well but then we end the very last sentence of the chapter but the cupbearer forgot joseph dun, dun, dun. so we are left on a cliffhanger and we mm-hmm. love a cliffhanger So you have to come back next week to find out what happens to Joseph. Will he make it out of the prison? Will he ever see his brothers again? Oh, my. But I cannot wait to complete the story of Joseph. Yes. Um, I did want to say one thing about when he's in prison. Uh, We we skipped over this, but I think it's important. Um, That it says that the Lord was with him and his steadfast love remained with him the whole time. He's good and he's faithful. Mm-hmm. Like in the worst, you know, he doesn't know when he's getting, if he's getting out, you know, questioning everything. And the steadfast love of the Lord is there with him. He continues to prosper even in prison. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's amazing. Well, I think maybe we should talk about our him, me, we. Yeah, let's do it. I think for me, one thing that I was thinking specifically about this portion of scripture is we really do see... Um, how Jacob's character and his actions have now turned into something bigger and worse than him, you know? And, and I think probably for Jacob, he doesn't see it that way or he wouldn't, he never, he never would have imagined that his deception and his trickery would have resulted in um, sons actually wanting to kill their brother, like just this evil brutality that results out of out of all of that. And um, and so it just makes me makes me, you know, think about my life and the things that I do or even my character or, you know, just different things. It really brings home that idea that I'm not an island and the things that I do or who I am doesn't just affect me, but it affects other people, obviously my children and my family, but it's beyond that. And I think that we can understand that and see that. Um, But it just kind of highlights the idea of, you know, what I do does matter for future generations in whatever way. And I'm not talking like in a big, amazing way, but it does affect um, it does affect people. And so I don't want to be like Jacob. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes <laughs> I am and, you know, we are. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with. It's kind of the, the me-we portion kind of all squished into one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that stuck out to me in this section was um, Genesis 39, verse 21. And you just kind of mentioned it. But 
The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Mm-hmm. And I love the word steadfast there. Like it just, you know, it never wavered. Mm-hmm. It was um, all encompassing, you know, like he, his love never failed, you know. Um, and we've seen Joseph's story so far. Like there's these high points and these low points and you never really see him given to despair. Um I just recently rewatched the movie Count of Monte Cristo. We did too. And whenever Edmund Dantes gets thrown into prison, like yes. he just kind of wallows there for mm-hmm. years, you know. And obviously, different context, but but it makes me think of like how easy it would be for us to just like throw our hands up and give up. Mm-hmm. And we don't see Joseph do that. And um, so, just kind of an encouragement to us of what it looks like for us to remain faithful to the Lord when He's obviously also faithful. It may not look how we would have hoped or dreamed it would. Um, but there is a future and a hope that we can rest upon. So I love that. That's really good. I am still stuck on the thing that I started with was <laughs> the idea of being a sojourner or a foreigner. And um, it made me think of First um, Peter mm-hmm. chapter 2, um, starting in verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors that even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God who judges the world. And that is the story of Joseph. Joseph. I mean, we just yes. talked about Potiphar's wife. And I think it's it's just really coming alive to me. Um, the idea of this is not our home. And we have a future home, but here we are living in this place that is not our home. And how are we going to behave in that? Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's how am I being a good representative of my true home? <laughs> and then for we... How am I being a representative of our true home to those people and also not letting the residents of this world be a, a, an influence on me in a, in a negative way? Mm-hmm. The Potiphar's wives of this world being a bad influence on me. How can I be like Joseph and be more tied to my true home? Yeah. And uh, I'm just really excited to talk more about Joseph. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope this conversation revealed something new to you about God and or yourself. We'll be back next week as we discuss the next five chapters. In the meantime, feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have by emailing us at citywomen at citychurchok.com or click the link in our show notes. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at citywomenok.com.